Uh, you're invited into the ark to recognize our graduates and have a little cake. So uh, please step into the ark and just uh, congratulate them as uh, this is a very, very special day in their lives. And then if you are a younger adult here today, and I see a number of you out there, um, I hope you're going to follow instructions as well and hang around until 1130, until after we recognize those graduates, because we've got a very, very important conversation we want to have with you today, as Jamie was sharing earlier. We want to know how we can better serve the 20s and 30s in this church and the surrounding area. We want to know how we can do a better job reaching out to people. And uh, we want to hear from you. We want to listen to you as, we, as you share your thoughts. Because as we said many times in the last few months, the church is only one generation away from extinction. And it's critical that we're effective in coming alongside of the 20 and 30s. And so please, you're very important to this church family. Step in and, and please hang out with us and talk to us today. A very important conversation. And then I hope you're going to be back tonight. Uh, Jeff and Ann Urich aren't here in this service this morning, but uh, one of the, the couples that we'll be sharing tonight, or the only couple, along with Josh, is uh, a friend of theirs. And so I know you're going to want to hear from them about how God has been working in their life and is taking them on this journey to Tanzania. And so I uh, plan to be back with us tonight as well. Now, would you bow your head with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the Sermon on the Mount. Hard to believe that we began this study back on January 17th. We've been in this, these chapters now for the better part of three months or more. And we've uh, looked at each verse. We've traveled through the whole sermon. And now we come to the end today, Lord. And this may be the most important part because this is the application, the proofs in the pudding. What are we going to do with it? And so we ask that you give us ears to hear how Jesus closes this sermon. And then, Lord, give us the grace to apply your words, to live them out in our lives. We give you this time now. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's imagine for a moment that sometime this next year, you come down with a very painful disease. What would you do? And that disease threatens to take your life. Well, if you're like most people, you'd go to the doctor, wouldn't you? Because you'd want to know what it was you had. You'd want to know if there was anything that you could do. And you go to the doctor, you've got this painful disease, and he gives you a prescription. And so then you take that prescription, you got it in your hand, now you kind of do it electronically, and you go to the pharmacist, they fill that prescription, and you take it home. And when you get home, you start to do some more research on this newly discovered disease which is threatening your life. And you not only do more research, but you join a support group. That's what most people do today, don't they? They become a part of a support group with people that have the same thing. And so you get all kinds of support, and you do more research. In fact, you become very knowledgeable on the subject, and you go to hear other speakers speak about this disease that you have. 
But there's only one problem. Even though you become one of the most knowledgeable people in the world about this disease and you're part of a support group and you're doing all of this stuff, you go home and you open up the medicine cabinet and you never take the prescription. Now, my question to you is, how much good with all of your knowledge and all of the support groups, how much good would would that do you? Absolutely none. It wouldn't do you any good because prescriptions are written to be taken. And if you don't take the prescription, it does you absolutely no good. And that's exactly Jesus' point now as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Since January 17th, all of us have been faithfully visiting the doctor's office. We've been showing up here on Sunday mornings, and we've been listening very carefully to the words of Jesus as he's taken us through the Sermon on the Mount. And that is his divine prescription. That is his instruction as our divine physician on what will help us to live a meaningful, purposeful life. It's his roadway to salvation. He's given us all kinds of wisdom here in this sermon. But if we don't do anything with it, if we just walk out of here today, and wasn't that a nice sermon series for the last three months? I mean, wasn't that wonderful to hear all the words of Jesus again in the Sermon on the Mount? It'll do us absolutely no good. This is Jesus' spiritual prescription for our spiritual health. So look at what he says about builder number one here in verses 24 and 25. Ken read it for us. Therefore, if anyone hears, how many of you have been listening for the last three or four months? Can I just see your hands? I think most of us have. If anyone hears these words of mine, but now here's the acid test and puts them into practice. He's like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on. And notice, please, this passage says, the rock. Isn't that interesting? It says, the rock. The rock we've been singing about this morning, it doesn't say, a rock. It says, the rock. Now, the storms in this story are symbolic of the judgment of God. Just look back up the page at verses 21 and 22. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus very clearly talks about the final judgment there in verses 21 all the way through actually verse 23, the paragraph before this. But these storms also stand for the stresses and the struggles of life. They stand for God's judgment, the final storm, but also these storms are symbolic of the struggles and the stresses that we go through in the journey of life. And there's only one way to stand as you go through the storms of life and as you prepare to face the final judgment, the final storm, and that is on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, and on his teaching here on the Sermon of the Mount. And so Jesus talks about this first builder, and he talks about the importance of acting on what he's been teaching us, doing something with what he 
tells us. It's interesting to me, in 2006, there was a study done, and it was published, and it was about all of the people in America today who are having bypass surgery. Did you know that there are at least 600,000 people every year that have heart bypass surgery? And after each of those individuals has heart bypass surgery, they go in and they talk to the doctor. You know what the doctor tells them? He tells them how many bypasses he's put in, in their vessels, but then he tells them that, he, that they've got to change the way they've been eating and they need to change the way they've been living. And you know what they found out in this study? That 90% of the people that have heart bypass surgery don't change. They don't change their lifestyle. They get the stents put in or they have the bypass surgery, but then they go on eating and doing things just the way they did them before. So how much good is the the heart bypass surgery going to do them? If we're going to be good heart patients this morning, then Jesus wants us to do something with the instruction that he's given us. He wants us to change the way we're living. Now, notice there are three results if we're willing to put into practice Jesus' words. The first thing is salvation. The second is stability, and the third is satisfaction. We've got them up here on the screen for you. Let's talk about them just very quickly here. Salvation. I just said that this passage doesn't say that we build our lives on a rock. It says that we build our lives on the rock. Now, let me ask you. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Jesus Christ, he's the rock. And that's what this sermon is all about. It's a description of Jesus himself. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we learned that Jesus Christ is gate number one. He's the narrow pathway. He's the one that takes us to the heavenly father. He is the only means and way of salvation. And when we study the Sermon on the Mount, we come face to face with our inadequacy. We realize that we are bankrupt. It doesn't take me very long to get into this sermon that we've been looking at to realize that I don't measure up. Did you discover that over the past three or four months? None of us measure up. We're inadequate. And we're not only inadequate, we're unable. We're unable to live up to this sermon. And so this sermon leads us to the grace and the mercy that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you act on this sermon, it will lead you to Jesus who can save you. This is all about salvation. This morning... Russ opened our service by reading Psalm 18, 1 and 2. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Oh, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Jesus Christ is that rock. Now, for some reason, when I think of this passage, I think of a an old singer who, I don't know if he's still here on planet Earth or not, but have any of you ever heard Big John Hall? Big John Hall was a big guy, and I remember several years ago hearing him stand up in this big coliseum in Kansas City, Missouri, 
and he sang this song, The Lord liveth, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. I can't sing quite as low as he got, okay? But he, he was this big bass of a guy, and he, he sang about Jesus Christ and how he lives, and he's the rock of our salvation. That's this passage. He is the rock. Jesus Christ is our salvation, and he's the only adequate foundation on whom we can build our life. Now, notice that if we put into practice the words of this sermon, it not only leads us to Jesus who can save us and Jesus who can enable us to live the way God wants us to live, but it leads to stability in our lives. Now, what do I mean by stability? Well, notice the wise man again here in verses 24 and 25. Wisdom is simply seeing life through God's eyes. If you're wise, then you see life and life's circumstances the way God sees the circumstances around you. That's wisdom. And so this man was wise, and he took Jesus' instruction, and he did something with it, and he built his house, the parable says, on a rock. And that's the analogy here if we're willing to put into practice Jesus' words. And if we build on the rock, if we follow his instruction, then it enables us to survive not just the judgment, but the stresses and the storms that life will bring our way the struggles that we go through as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings stability to our lives as we build on his instruction. A few weeks ago, I was telling the Wednesday night prayer group, and incidentally, you're all invited to come on Wednesday night. This summer, we're not actually meeting in the sanctuary. We're meeting in one of the classrooms back here in a circle, and we just have a great time of prayer and singing together. But I was telling the Wednesday night prayer group that uh, several years ago, we were driving through Pueblo, Colorado, and we encountered this, this huge storm, this huge rainstorm. And we were just, we were scared to death. We didn't know what to do. It was a torrential downpour, and it just surprised us. And we're on family vacation. And so the only thing we knew to do was to get off the highway because I couldn't even see where I was going. And we got underneath this underpass, and we just sat there until the storm passed. That's Jesus Christ, and that's his teaching. He's shelter from the storm. And if we hide ourselves in him, and if we follow his word, he's protection to us. He brings stability from the storms of life. And then he brings satisfaction to our soul. Look back at the very beginning of this sermon. Look back at chapter 5 for just a moment. You remember how we began this back in January? What does Jesus say at the very beginning of this sermon? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And the Amplified Version says that that means happy, fortunate, blessed, prosperous, are those who put these words of mine into practice. That's the Beatitudes. Just 11 miles off of the east coast of Scotland, 
there's a lighthouse called the Bell Rock Lighthouse. I've got a couple of pictures of it coming up on the screen for you this morning. It's endured ferocious storms for the past 100 and some odd years. It was built back in 1811, so I guess that would mean it's, it's endured these storms for over 200 years, 205 years. It was built by a guy by the name of Robert Stevenson, and he had 65 skilled builders working with him. This lighthouse is surrounded and almost submerged in water 20 hours a day. Do you have the second slide? Yeah, it's up there for you. You can see the the storms just breaking against this lighthouse. But it was built and carved, etched into this, 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 this rock, this solid rock. And that's what's enabled it to stand for over 200 years. That's a picture of what Jesus is talking about this morning. When we build our lives on him and his teaching, it leads us to salvation. It brings stability and true meaning and purpose and happiness to our lives. We survive and we endure. Now let's look at builder number two real quickly. What did he do in contrast to the first builder in this parable? Well, just look at, look at the verses again that, that Ken read for us. Look at verses 26 and 27, and notice what the Bible says. And if you do a careful study, a parallel of these two builders, you're going to notice that everything is the same. It's identical. They hear the same things. Everything is the same, except Builder number two doesn't take Jesus' words and put them into practice. And Jesus says that's like building on sand instead of building on rock. That's the only difference. They hear the same thing, same descriptions, but one doesn't put them into practice and the other does, and so it's like building on sand. That's the only difference. And what are the results in his life? Well, let's talk about those quickly. Number one... If you build on sand, if you don't put Jesus' words into practice, if you don't take it to heart this morning, if you just listen and it goes in one ear and out the other and you leave church and, oh, that was a nice sermon or that was a nice series, then you end up being deceived. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, James says, don't just listen to the word. Because if you do, then you'll be deceived. And that word that he uses in James 1.22 means you'll wreck it wrongly. You'll delude yourself. Because it's like taking a look at yourself in the mirror and seeing what kind of a person you are, what kind of a man you are, and then going your own way and doing nothing about it. Be a little bit like me getting up this morning, stepping in front of the mirror over there in the parsonage, noticing that all my hair is disheveled from sleeping during the night and thinking, you know what? I probably ought to comb that before I go across and preach this morning, but then I do nothing about it. And so I stand up here with all this hair going every place or what little hair I have. That's what it's like to hear God's word and to not put it into practice. You end up deceiving yourself. 
thinking that you're really different than you are, maybe better than you are. Now, I think that this is really important to hear because in America today, we have a lot of people who are deceiving themselves. And that's just the fact of the matter. There are a lot of people today in America, just like us, who are in church, listening to sermons, and we've got more Bibles today than we've ever had before. And we've got more seminars. We've got Beth Moore, and we've got R.C. Sproul, and we've got all of this stuff, and we've got these video curriculums, and we can go to seminars, and we go hear speakers, and we can hear the best speakers and the best preachers on your iPod or however you get it. And we listen to a lot of stuff. But you know, the, the danger of all of this is we end up deceiving ourselves because we measure, we measure our spiritual maturity and growth by what we hear, by all the seminars and all the video curriculums and all of the preachers we listen to. And we, we grow in knowledge and we measure our spirituality by our knowledge rather than what we do with what we know. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. A.W. Tozer, many years ago, penned these words. It's called, exposition must have application. And this is what he said. Listen carefully. The Bible is, among other things, a book of revealed truth. That is, certain facts are revealed that could not be discovered unless you read the Bible. But the Bible, however is more than just a volume of hitherto unknown facts about God, man, and the universe. It's a book of exhortation based upon those facts. By far, the greater portion of the book that we call the Bible is devoted to an urgent effort to persuade people to alter their ways, to change, to do something with what we hear and bring their lives into harmony with the will of God as it's set forth in the pages of this book and this sermon that we've been listening to. And then Tozer concludes with these thoughts, and he's worth listening to. No man is better for knowing that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. The devil knows that. And so did Ahab and Judas Iscariot. No man is better for knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't help to just know it. Theological truth is useless unless it is obeyed, is what he concludes with here in this little thought. And so you end up deceiving yourself. I have a story in my files which I've kept for many years because I always wanted to remember it. It's the story of the the great agnostic, Professor J.X. Huxley. He doubted and did not believe in the existence of God. And there are some unpublished memoirs from the nurse which took care of him at the very end of his life. And she records what happened. He was dying in bed. And just before he died, he sat up. And he looked up into something that nobody else could see. And he stared for a moment 
And then he spoke these words. He said, so it is true. And then he died. You end up deceiving yourself if you don't heed what Jesus is saying here. Because this word is truth, what Jesus is trying to teach us. And then very quickly, destruction and disappointment are the other two things that result if we don't put these words into practice. We end up disillusioned and disappointed, and then we end up on the road to destruction. It's a little bit like the man who was living on Long Island, and he bought a barometer. That was a lifelong ambition of his. He purchased it. He took it home. He got it out of the box. He was so excited. Here's this barometer, and he looks at it, and he's frustrated because it's stuck on one setting, and he he shook it. He did everything with it, but he couldn't get off the setting. It was pointed to the setting that said hurricane, and so he sat down, and he wrote this scorching letter to the people that had made this barometer, and he dropped it in the mailbox on his way to work the next day, and then coming home that night on his way back to Long Island, to his horror when he drove up, His house was no longer standing where it was that morning, and his barometer was gone too. The barometer's right. Hurricane. Jesus' word is truth. It's counterintuitive. And there will be times in your life where you're going to feel like, it's payback time. I'm going to get even. But what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? And there are going to be times in your life where it's going to feel right to not mourn or not be poor in spirit or to criticize and gossip or whatever it is that Jesus has taught taught us in here. And it's going to feel like the right thing to go there and to do that. But Jesus' word is counterintuitive. But you can always bank on it. It is truth. It is the rock. It is reality. And if it says hurricane, it's hurricane. It's truth. He doesn't lie to you. So listen and heed what he says. Now notice the response of the crowds as we close this morning. And I know we're going just a little bit after today, but this is important. Notice that the sermon concludes by looking at the crowds Now, I find this very interesting here in verses 28 and 29 because what did we say at the very, very beginning as we started this study? We said that this sermon is for disciples. Remember, it's the disciples that gather around him on the the hillside that day. This sermon is for the converted, for the committed. And notice that here at the end of the sermon... There's nothing said about the critics, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people that were always criticizing Jesus, that that didn't take his, 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 his teaching to heart. There's nothing said about the critics. There's nothing said about the committed. He only talks about the crowds. Now, why is that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why does Jesus end this by reflecting on the crowds and their response? You know why I think it is? Because most people aren't critics 
And they're not converts. They're just part of the crowd. They're just part of the milling herd. Part of the 90% or more that are out there that have that heard Jesus' words. And, and notice their response. What does the Bible say? Look at verses 28 and 29. It says, they were amazed. They were astonished. In other words, they, they walked away saying, wow, can that guy preach? Man, that guy can teach. Man, did you ever hear a sermon like that? He didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. He taught as one having authority. But you know what the tragedy is? If you read the New Testament, there's nothing that really talks about the crowds ever becoming converted. They never really established that personal relationship with Jesus that Sue was talking about today. They didn't take it to heart and build their lives on, on his teaching, on his words, and follow him all the way. And I think there's a reason for this because there's so many in our country today that are just a part of the crowd. They're just along for the ride. And they come into church on Sunday mornings and, man, wasn't that a great praise band today? Man, those songs just rocked my world. Or, man, he really preached it today. But then we walk out and it's just another sermon or it's just another song. And it ends up on the shelf with our prescription bottles, which we never take. We never do anything about it. So would you bow your head now at this point? And I want you to just think about the last three or four months and everything that you've heard and everything that you've read. And I want to just give you 60 seconds or so before we walk out of here. What's the Lord saying to you this morning? Maybe it's just one verse, or maybe it's a whole section of the sermon. Or, but what do you hear him saying to you today? What step do you need to take to come back to the rock? And to begin to rebuild your life, to build your life again on him and what he says. You know, in Holman's picture of Jesus knocking on the door, which is hanging in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, there's no doorknob on the outside because Jesus won't barge his way into your life. The door can only be opened from the inside, from the inside. Now, if, if the Lord said something to you in the past many weeks, and you know he's spoken, and you, you, wanna, you want to apply something, you want to be different in some way, could I just see your hand this morning? Would you be willing to just raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I want this sermon to change my life. Could I just see your hand? Is there anybody in here today that would be willing just to raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, please help me. Please help me to change by your grace and to build my life on you. Lord, you're seeing these hands right now. And even those that didn't raise a hand, but in their heart, they know 
that they want to come to you. They want to follow you. Lord, please hear their heart and see their hands this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. And now go with us, Lord, as we leave this place. We need your grace, your saving grace, your sanctifying grace, your sustaining grace to live for you. Go with us today as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in God's grace and peace.